told you I was going to do things a little bit differently today. I'm actually going to sit down. My wife does not think I can sit here this whole message without moving. I don't know if you've noticed I'm a walker on stage, right? I go back and forth, back and forth. So, so I'm going to see if I can actually sit here and um, without fidgeting. That's the other, that's the other thing. I can, I can do it. I can do it. Um, <clears throat> you know those fidget spinners things? You know, the first time I ever actually got, I actually ever played with one wasn't until we moved up here. There is one, I guess Crystal has it in the drawer in her office. I don't know if you know she has one in there. Fidget spinner. See, she wasn't paying attention. Yeah, it, it, pink camo. I don't get that pink camo, but I find myself knowing that it's in there, going in there and doing this every once in a while. I do. She doesn't know that. I don't do it while she's in the office. I usually wish she's gone. Um, <clears throat> something you guys probably didn't know about me. I'm a fidgeter. Something else you might not know about me um, is I don't like asking for help. Um, I do, and sometimes people will offer help even though I don't ask, and sometimes I'll let them, and sometimes I, I, I just don't. I just say, no, I got it taken care of. But this past weekend, um, Jeanette and I had bought a couch, and it's a really cool couch. It, it's, uh, you know, I don't know how long it is. It's probably about seven feet uh, long, and it has two sections, and both sections recline. Now, I, I'm a guy. I like recliners, right? Guys like recliners. Well, my wife has not let me buy a recliner because she says they are ugly. Okay, she says, you're not buying a recliner. If you can buy, if you can find one that doesn't look like a recliner, then we can buy it. And we found a couple of them that were pretty expensive. Well, uh, we went over to some friend's house, and they had these really nice couches. And, uh, and we, yeah, <laughs> with Renee and Stephen, we went over to their house for dinner, and uh, we sat on their couch, and we, we fell in love with their couch. And so we started looking for reclining couches, and we just happened to find the ones that they have at Nebraska Furniture Mart. So we bought it. And Friday, we went to pick it up. Remember I told you I didn't like asking for help? So I have a trailer. We go, and I didn't have to load it on the trailer. It was fine. And we get it home, and I'm a man. I can get that couch inside my house by myself. <laughs> now, while I, I am very independent, I also, don't, I also am fairly creative when it comes to moving furniture. So I was able to get it from my, uh, from my trailer across my front yard over to the steps and up on top of the steps. But I could not get it up the steps by myself. Um, and here's why. Because I got it over there and, and sitting on the steps. And if you've seen my house, you know what it looks like. But to get it up, I needed a piece of plywood. Now, I have just been hunking this couch. I get it off of the, I get it on the, I push it across the yard on some plywood. I get it over to the, to the stairs, no problem. Uh, this past, I guess it's been seven weeks or so, I've been doing these exercises and it's been building muscle. It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Well, 
I get to the couch to where it's at, leaning up on the stairs, and I realize that I need a piece of plywood. Nothing big. So I knew I had one around the side of the house. I go over to the side of the house, and there's a piece of plywood. It's about four foot by three foot. Not very big, half inch thick, not heavy. Something you could pick up with one hand like this. I reach over, and I grab it, and I'm going to pull it out. Of course, it's been snowing. It's been cold, so it's a little stuck. So I give a little bit of pull, and it finally breaks loose. The moment it breaks loose, I tweak my back. I can move a couch, but I can't move a little tiny piece of plywood without tweaking my back. You think that stopped me? No. Jeanette, I need your help. You're right. My wife came out, so I couldn't move it by myself. I had to have my wife's help. But, you know, it's a funny story. We got the couch in, and we love the couch. I love it more than she does because I recline on it and almost fall asleep all the time. But when we face things, things that limit us, it can cause us to feel a little powerless. Um, you know, this happened Friday night, um, the tweak in my back. And when it first happened, um, I could barely bend over about like this. It was just, it was painful. Um, you know, and you get something like that happens to you and you just feel powerless. You just, you, you can't do anything about it. Think about, think about losing power at your house. Now, I don't know about around here, but last winter, Jeanette and I, we were living in, in Douglasville, and there was a lot of snow, and we lost power. We were out with power four days. About four days, we were without power. Now, Jeanette's husband just so happened to be smart enough to buy a generator a year earlier. So we weren't completely without power, but there's a lot of people in our subdivision. We lived in a subdivision. You go down this long road, and it's a dead end. Okay? We all lost power. Jeanette and I, we had a, a generator so we could keep a little bit of warm. We keep the refrigerator running. Uh, believe it or not, we plugged the TV into, I know it's crazy, the important things in life, right? Uh, <laughs> we were able to watch Netflix, you know, so life wasn't too bad for us. But there, everybody around us, all of the houses around us, were completely without power, no heat, couldn't keep the refrigerator cold. And you get in that situation, and you feel helpless because you have no power. Just you, you, you're without options. Maybe you guys don't. Maybe you guys don't understand that because you guys don't lose power up here. I, I mean, how many times have it snowed, and I have yet to see power loss? Think about this. Maybe you're in your car and your battery dies. Where are you going to take that car? You know what? It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether your car is worth $1,000 or if your car is worth $100,000. If you have a dead battery, they're both about the same usefulness. We, a lot of times we feel powerless. Um, and, and that powerless, you know, we don't like that feeling. We want to have some kind of control. Control gives us comfort. And our lives are filled with that. And, and the question that we all have, how do we maintain some type of power in our lives? How do we maintain that uh, through the good and the bad and the long uh, in all the situations we face? 
Well, the Bible actually has some things to say about that. Um, has a lot actually to say about that. But the thing we need to understand, we need to understand a couple of things when we're looking at power, when we're thinking about having power. Uh, the first thing is what power is important. There's power that's important for our lives, and then there is power that's not important for our lives. And um, being able to convince somebody that you're right is power for our lives, but just convincing somebody you're right isn't necessarily important power. Um, intelligence. They say, they say knowledge is power. And yes, having knowledge can give you uh, some abilities that maybe somebody without knowledge cannot give you. I have a, a cousin, and he got a, he got a master's degree in math from Auburn University. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and he was a school teacher for a little while. Uh, he found out very quickly that he did not want to teach in public schools. A teacher from public school knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you, you know, the public school, just as a teacher, just ties your hands, and, and it makes it di- they make it difficult. Um, but he is a very intelligent person. He has a lot, a lot of knowledge in his head. I mean, he can quote things uh, and remember things like nobody's business. I, on the other hand, can barely tell you what happened yesterday. I have a terrible memory. There's not a lot of knowledge stuck up in this head of mine, partly because I can't remember them. I can't keep them in there. Uh, But being able to relate to people for my my cousin, it's a little harder for him to relate to people. And and in reality, people who are extremely smart sometimes have a hard time relating to people. Not everybody. I've met some really intelligent people who are extremely, uh, are very good at relating to people. But sometimes we allow the, the knowledge, the power of knowledge to prohibit us from Understanding a person's life, what they're going through, because maybe we don't, we don't, we can't relate to that. So when we look at power, we have to understand what is, what power can we have that is going to be important? And you probably will not find this as a surprise. It is the power that God gives us. That is going to be the important power. So what power do we need to to have that is going to allow us to do what God wants us to do, to be who God wants us to be, to affect people. Power, in essence, is your ability to affect somebody else. That is, that is really, nobody says that somebody who is a great mechanic has a lot of power. He's, he's really good at what he does, but we don't associate being a phenomenal mechanic as having a lot of power. Um, a great artist. We don't consider necessarily a great artist as a person having a lot of power. And when we do say that a, a great artist has a lot of power, we say it because, why? Because what he has created influences people. 
You see, power comes from influence. When we think of powerful people, we are thinking of people who have what? A lot of influence. And so the power of influence is, is the key to being able to do what God has called you to do. And I want to look at that, the power of influence. A couple of things that we need to, to be aware of is that um, the power of influence is never taken by force. The power of influence is never taken by force. I would rather have somebody fight beside me who loves me much more than have somebody who fights beside me because they're scared of me. Because when it comes to giving your life, the person who loves you would be willing to give their life for you. The person who fears you will question that. They might do it, but only do it because if they don't, you might take their life. People who follow you because of love and respect will go much further for you than people who follow you because of fear. So we need to have that in our lives. We need to, we need to realize that you cannot take influence. Influence is freely given and freely received. So what kind of influence do we need to have? Matthew, Mark chapter 9, verses 20, uh, 42 to 47. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, Mark 9, 42 through 47. Here's what it says. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life, uh, enter life maimed than with two hands to, uh, to go to hell, into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eyes causes you to stumble, pluck them out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. This is a pretty graphic idea about influence. Now, the Bible is not telling you that if, if something is causing you to sin, to cut it off, okay? It's not saying if you, have, if you have a problem with stealing, go ahead and cut your hands off, and that will solve your problem. That's not what it's saying, because your hands are not the cause of you stealing. What it's saying is that it's better for you to not have everything you have and go to heaven than to have everything you have and go to hell. That's the idea that it's saying. And, and it's making a, a very clear, a clear idea. And it says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. That's influence. That's influence. When you cause somebody to stumble, the in, that's the influence you have over their life. And we need to take this seriously because... There is, there is severe consequences when we allow our influence to negatively affect a person's spiritual life. Power of influence. How we are influenced and who we influence 
is all given and taken freely. Given and taken freely. Well, what about the person who is tortured? It, you, you're the, the in, if somebody is trying to influence you and they're doing it through torture, you still choose to give it to them. Even though you choose to give it to them because you want the pain to stop. You see, influence uh, is one of those things where nobody can force it out of you. You have to freely give it. And we do it all the time. We always give our influence and take influence from other people. The problem is, is where our influence comes from and where our influence goes. Where does our influence come from? Well, you could, you could judge pretty, pretty easily exactly where your influence is coming from. And you could do that by taking a pencil, taking a piece of paper, and as you're living your life, write down things you say, things you hear, what you watch, where you go, what you read, who you come in contact with. All of these things influence what, you, what, what influences you. All of these things are things that, that you take in. So, yes, watching TV does not have to, it is not, quote unquote, a sin that's going to send you to hell. But what kind of influence is it putting into your life? We have a little boy. You guys know this. Three years old, Eli. I love Eli. But I am very careful. My wife and I are very careful as to what we allow him to watch. Why? Because we know he is easily influenced. If he comes up to you and he starts talking like this, you know why? It's because we let him watch too much George we did, that's what, have you ever watched Curious George? What does that, I don't want to call him stupid, what does that little monkey do? He does this. And so what does Eli do when he watches it? And we have to tell him, Eli, use your words. Use your words. So we stopped letting him watch Curious George for a little while. Guess what he stopped doing? We all have influence in our lives like that. Now, as you get older, when, when Eli gets older, he's going to realize that those sounds are not going to get him what he wants. He's beginning to realize that right now. And he's able to, to put aside the, the negative influences for the sake of the positive influences, the things that are going to get him to really what he wants. If he wants a snack, and he comes up to us, and he goes, wah, 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 wah. we don't know what he's saying, so we're not going to get him a snack. He's realized that if he really wants a snack, he has to use his words. And the older he gets, the better he'll be able to understand that. Same thing with us. When we look at spiritual things and things that are influencing our lives, when we're young in our faith, and I say young, I'm not talking about age-wise, I'm talking about maturity-wise. Because there are people who are very mature 
for the spiritual age, and there are people who are very young for their many years of spiritual age. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for two months or 20 years, you can still be spiritually immature. And that spiritual immaturity affects how you are influenced. The power of influence, we give it regularly to the things we watch, to the things we listen to, to the people we hang out with. Now, some of us don't have a choice. I say some of us. Some people don't have a choice. You work in construction, chances are you're going to be around a lot of people who use a lot of bad language. It's just, I was in construction for many years. I know how it is. And if the, the spiritually immature could find it easy to start taking on that kind of language. I don't know if I've ever shared this to you, but um, there was a period of time in my life, I think I was in junior high, where I said, I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to start cussing. <laughs> I think that's funny, I guess. <laughs> I, di- I did. I think it was junior high. I just said, you know what? It seems like the cool thing to do. I'm just going to start cussing. And I did. I did for about two whole days. <laughs> it just felt so uncomfortable for me to do that. It wasn't, you know... It wasn't necessarily my spiritual maturity, but it was, it was because what I had allowed myself to think is acceptable. And I, I am happy to say that I don't think I've said, uh, quote unquote, used foul language since then. My dad, now, my dad, when he'd get mad, he'd be working on the car and he would be cranking something really tight. And you know what happens when you do that and it slips. You see, underside of the car, they don't put plastic on the underside of the car. So when you hit your knuckles on something, it's metal, hard metal that cuts and bruises. And he'd let a word slip. And then he would look over, because I'm usually under the car with him, and he'd look over me and he'd say, I shouldn't have said that. And he instilled in me that that was not, while he did make that mistake, it was not acceptable. And so I grew up believing and thinking certain things were not acceptable. Language like that being one of them. But when we spend time around people who always are using that language, if we're not careful, we can let it influence us to believe that it's acceptable. And I'm using foul language as an illustration. It could be anything. It could be anything. We let people influence us freely, whether it's friends or family. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's social media. We allow social media. You know, and I, one of the things that really... It doesn't necessarily make me angry as, it, as much as it hurts me more than anything. Is to see people who, family members or close friends, who are posting things on Facebook that would make, would make God sad. And maybe the post is 
accurate, but, do, but it's just not displaying the love of God. It hurts because the world needs to see something different from those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. How and who you influence is decided by the decisions you make. And you have to make wisely decisions so that you can influence the, the way God wants you to. Romans chapter, 21 verse, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 21 says this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you read that whole chapter, you find out that what he's talking about is love. In fact, that's verse 21. In verse 9... Of that, of that chapter preceding 21, he says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Then he says, Be joyful, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share, the Lord's, uh, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. He says a couple of other things, and then he says, and then he ends it with that, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcoming evil with good is about loving. So our influence, when we influence people, or we are influenced by people, it needs to be about love. If you are influencing people for personal gain, that's not love. If you are influencing people for any reason other than love, it does not come from God. And if you allow yourself to be influenced by things that are not from love, you have to be careful to not let it become a part of who you are. That's not to say that you can't go watch a movie. It's not to say you can't go to a place where uh, when I was growing up, well, I say growing up, when I was really young, you did not go bowling because nothing good happened at the bowling alley. And to that I say, the people who say that are the ones who never got strikes. <laughs> but see, we, we, those places and, and doing those things a lot of times are not in and of themselves bad. But we have to be careful how much we allow them to influence us so that we can be the kind of influence we need to be. Garbage in, garbage out. Now, God is an amazing God. Um, he is able to filter things. Just because garbage comes in, doesn't necessarily mean it has to go out. God is, is pretty good. He, he, he gives us mercy, and he, he can filter us so that when the garbage comes in, we don't have to necessarily let it out. But he's not in the, he's not in the, the job of being our full-time uh, filterer. If we put too much in, it's going to eventually come out. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. So how do we be a godly influence? 
how can we have the power to be the influence that God wants us to be? Well, the power behind godly influence, and this is in your notes. If you want to write these three things down, these are going to help you. The power behind godly influence is authenticity, encouragement, and holiness. It says faithfulness up there. I changed it. (laughs) Authenticity, encouragement, and holiness. Sometimes I, I... I have my sermons ready, and then I go, go over them again Saturday night. And sometimes God says, you know what, I need you to change a couple of things in there. So I do. And, and this is one of those things, and you're going to understand why as we get, get going on through this. Let's look at those three things, authenticity, encouragement, and holiness. When I was in uh, high school, I loved drama. Not the girl drama that you're thinking of, okay? The class drama. And here's why I like that class, because as a high schooler, um, I think I took it as a sophomore. As a sophomore in high school, I was much more introvert than I, than I seem to be right now. Um, and what drama allowed me to do was it allowed me to, to be somebody different. To, I, could, I could portray somebody with a completely different personality, and it was acceptable. If I had done that uh, just in casual life, people would be like, this isn't you. But drama gave me the ability to be or do anything. And so that's why I loved it. And we, we have a, a, a society where if there is an individual who is good at pretending to be somebody they are not, we applaud them. They're called actors. Now, I'm not saying that acting is bad. Don't, don't get me wrong. But we, we view it as an acceptable lie. They're pretending to be somebody they're not, which is lying, hypocrisy. And it's acceptable because of the situation and the circumstances surrounding it. The problem is, is that we, and it's not, it's not the industry's fault. I'm not trying to accuse them of anything. We also have this desire to do and we wish our lives were different. And so we portray something that is not real within us to the people we meet. We, we, we live differently away from home than we do maybe at home. When we're at work, maybe we hang out with the guys and, and we give a sense of uh, we act a little like them to be accepted, but when we're at home, we're different. And while it doesn't seem to be a terrible difference, what's happening is that we are not being authentic. And people need authenticity if they're ever going to realize there's something different about Jesus and his followers. There has to be authenticity in our lives. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus made that clear when he picked the disciples. You don't have to be perfect. 
But what he desires is that you rely on him and you be who you're meant to be. Be authentic. Don't be hypocritical. It's interesting if you read about Jesus and you read in the New Testament, not one of the people who sinned did Jesus condemn the only people Jesus really condemned for their sins. Everybody else, he told them, go and sin no more, as he did with the woman caught in adultery. He encouraged them to, to, to re- forget sin and go live a godly life. The people that he really had a hard time with were the people who said, we're religious leaders, but then acted selfishly. It was the Pharisees. It was the teachers of the law. It was those people who Jesus had a hard time with. Because they were not being authentic. They were saying we are godly, but living immorally. And we cannot allow ourselves to be like that. We have to, if we really want to have the power of influence, not only do we have to have people in our lives who will be authentic with us, we have to be authentic with other people. Because that is that, that authenticity that, that people want to relate to. People want to know that you're going through struggles. People want to know that you're not perfect, that, 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 you, that, that sin infiltrates your life. But you don't have to stay there. One of the, one of the, one of the men in the Bible that I really admire about his authenticity is Paul. Now, I, I've done a study in Paul, on Paul, and there are some things about Paul that... Personally, I, I don't particularly like. I think he's a little mean. Um, and I don't want to go into why. I mean, maybe at some point in time, if you really want to know, I'll tell you why. I think he, was, he wasn't as nice, a very nice guy. But he was really authentic. The same person who said, follow me as I follow Christ, also says this in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. If I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer, I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do what is good, I want for, the, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Did you understand that? (laughs) What he's saying is, is there's sin that causes him to do things he doesn't want to do. This is the same man who said, follow me as I follow Christ. He's being real. He's saying, hey, I'm doing my best to follow God. I'm doing my best to follow Jesus, but I make mistakes because of sin in my life. And that is the type of, that, that is the people we have to be, the authentic people that we have to be if we want to influence people for Jesus. You know, authenticity, authenticity, what it'll do is it'll lead to openness and it'll, it'll lead to vulnerability on your part. You have to be open. You have to be vulnerable to be authentic. And it'll lead you to that. But that will lead you down a path 
to speak into somebody's life. How many of you know somebody who is not authentic in, their, in, in who they are? You don't, want to, you don't want to share much conversation with them. But you know somebody who is truly authentic, truly your friend, you'd be willing to owe about and speak to them about anything. That's the nature of authenticity. But authenticity is only the first step in having the power to influence people for God. It also takes encouragement. Encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, this passage, 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking to a, a group of believers. And so when he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, specifically he's talking about building one another up in the community of, excuse me, in the community of believers. Okay? That's, that, that's the, the, the circumstance in which he makes this statement. But God did not intend for us to only be like that with our fellow believers. That would be unauthentic. Unauthentic? Okay. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. <clears throat> this is me being, you know, authentic, authentic with you guys. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you meet me out on the street, I say stupid things all the time. It's bound to come out on the stage. So, again, that's... We need to encourage people. Not just one another in this body. We should be encouraging one another in this, in this body. But we also need to be encouraging people outside this body. There are a lot of people who are dealing with things in their lives that we will never know. And some of them are just waiting. Just wait. They're just on the verge. And you do not know what a simple hello, I'm thinking about you, will change their life. As a youth pastor, uh, early in my youth pastor, not so much after I got married, but early in my youth pastor, it, there were several guys that I had talked to about, um, about suicide. I, they weren't like on the ledge and I had to talk them off the ledge, but it was a thought that, was, that was pond, they were pondering in their mind. And I sat down with them, and one of the things that is common amongst people who are considering and that is, they do not, they, they feel like nobody cares. And just a little bit of encouragement, just a little bit of encouragement will show them that somebody does care. Now remember, this, this encouraging is built on top of authenticity. You have to be authentic first. Because if you don't really care about them, or you're not really encouraging them, they'll eventually see through that. We have to be people who encourage. So, how many, you guys probably, everybody probably here knows somebody who is a great encourager. And, and when you're around that person, it's like, man, this is awesome, this is great. You like being around that person. You do. Everybody likes being around an encourager. Now, you also know somebody who complains all the time. You like being around that person? No. And thanks to social media, you can follow that person everywhere you go. 
because it's right there on your, on your Facebook page. We like being around people who are encouraging. And because they, we like being around them, guess what? They have influence over our lives. We all can be that same type of person. We all can be that person who has the power of influence through authenticity to encourage somebody. Now, encouragement is, is unique because I am, by nature, I am an introvert. You might not believe it. I, I, I probably seem a little charismatic on the stage. By nature, that is not who I am. I'm also a people person. By, by nature, my DNA. But encouragement is not something that is necessarily built into you. It is, it, it is a, a learned trait. People who are naturally encouraged, or people who are natural encouragers, are typically people who were encouraged when they were younger. They learned that trait. Now, you can be charismatic and you can be uh, an extrovert and you can be a people person and you can be all of this and people will come to you and still not be an encourager. I think of celebrities. There's a lot of celebrities out there that people follow like crazy, but these people are not encouragers. The difference is, is that an encourager will change a person's life for the better. Celebrity rarely do that. They rarely do that. Celebrities are looking out for, for number one, usually. There are some of those celebrities who, who are encouragers and who are not just looking out for themselves. I read an article uh, not too long ago, um, and I just, I just lost his name. I didn't put it in my notes because I didn't think I was lose his name. Um, he played in that movie, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> Keanu Reeves. I read an article the other day that says that he gives the majority of his money to a children's hospital that he founded. And he didn't tell anybody about it. But it's his way of, of giving back to the community. And if you ever see the way he dresses, you would, you would see that he doesn't have any money. <laughs> Just saying, I've seen pictures of the way he dresses, and he does not look like your typical superstar celebrity. But you see, we have to, if we want to influence people's lives in a godly manner, we have to be encouragers. Now, I don't want to tell you that you have to be an encourager and not help you in how to be an encourager. Some of you, some of you are natural encouragers, and you don't need me to help you at all. But some of, some of and, and I was like this, some of us need a little bit of help in how can we be an encourager. Well, the first and foremost, if you want to be the type of encourager that God wants you to be, you have to remember, first and foremost, do not forget this. And if you want to write these, there's four things. If you want to write them down, write them down. First thing, remember, this world is not your home. This world is not your home. That's the basis for being an encourager. Because if you can remember that, you remember two things. One, 
no matter what you do, what you do is not for you, it's for the kingdom. Kind of, you're, you're, throwing, you're throwing your treasures into heaven. They say you can't take, when it comes to heaven, you can't take it with you, but you can store it up. You can store up your treasures in heaven. Remember that, that this place is not our home. And we can go from there. Two, work on ha- having a half, a cup half full perspective. You know, the old cuff half empty, cuff half full. Which one are you? Are you optimistic about things? Are you pessimistic about things? People who are always a cup half empty type of perspective are, are rarely encouragers because they have nothing to be encouraged about. Everything's going to fall apart. Nothing's going to go their way. Not only is it a sad way to live, it is not the way that God intended. Because if you are following Jesus and you love Jesus, you should be a half, you should be a cup full, not half full. We have to change our perspective. If you want to encourage people, if you want to lead people closer to God, it is a it is a full cup. Because we serve a God who supplies all of our needs. We serve a God who can do anything. We sing about it. Overcome death in the grave. That's the God we serve. So why shouldn't we have a cup full? Jesus says, I came and come to give you life and give it to the fullest. He didn't say, I come to give you life and make it half full. Our perspective needs to be, we have a full cup in God. And when we realize that, we share it. Three. So we remember our world, this world is not our home. Working on having a cup, cup full perspective. And three, say encouraging words and do encouraging things. Now, this should be, I would like to say that this should be a natural outcome of, of remembering this world that is not our, own, our home and being a, a cup full perspective. I should, I, this should come naturally, but it doesn't. For some, of, for some of us, it's hard. And sometimes you just got to be creative. When I was a youth pastor, um, I did not encourage people maybe the way that some other people did. I tried to find encouraging, uh, different ways to encourage students. One of the ways that I did this, and I, I don't know, they thought, it was, they thought it was cool, is I would walk up to them and I would say, I want to be like you when I grow up. And what is that? Am I being serious? Do I want to be a 12-year-old when I grow up? No. But what I'm saying is that I put value in their life. You see, sometimes we just need to say something or do something, encourage. Sometimes it may be maybe taking somebody out to dinner. Sometimes it may be just, hey, how you doing? I'm thinking about you doesn't have to be big. An encourager excels in the little things. That's what an encourager does. Somebody who is truly an encourager at heart excels in the little things. You don't have to give a big, long speech. It could be something small, but it's small and it's consistent. I had up there, you saw, I had the second word. Instead of encourager, I had faithful, faithfulness. 
You have to be faithful in your encouragement. Continue. Do it. Maybe you feel like, I'm encouraging too much. Impossible. Nobody was ever accused of encouraging too much. Difficult if you're not used to it. Challenging most definitely. But if you want to influence people for God, just start encouraging. Throw words of encouragement. Do things of encouragement. And four. Step four. Remember this world is not your home. Have a, a, a cup full perspective. Say encouraging words and do encouraging things. And number four. Repeat one through three as necessary. Because let's be honest, sometimes it could, it, we can get down and we can, get, uh, we can struggle. Maybe you're used to saying encouraging things and you're doing it and you're doing it and things are going good. And then all of a sudden, oh man, it's getting tough to do this. Go back to number one and start living like this is not our home. We have a much greater place. Do those two things over and over and over again. To have the power of a godly influence starts with authenticity. Goes to, is displayed in encouragement and is surrounded by godliness. Surrounded by godliness. You know, trying to, <clears throat> trying to define godliness is a very difficult task. Uh, we can make a list of things that we say is godly and and. If you do these things, then you're living a godly life. If you don't do these things, then you're not living a godly life. I mean, trying to define godliness is a difficult task. And I want, so I want to, I, I was thinking about this, trying to say, well, how do I accurately show people what true godliness is? And th the thought came to me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who had this thought, but it came to me. The best way to describe godliness is by using a mirror. When you look into a mirror, what do you see? You see reflection. And that's what we need to be. We need to be so close to Jesus. Our relationship needs to be so close to Jesus that when we look at ourselves, we see a reflection of Jesus. Now, there's something interesting about a mirror. If you're looking at a mirror and you raise your right hand, what hand is the person in the mirror raising? They're raising their left hand. If you didn't realize that, and if this is the first time you've ever realized that, I know you're going to go home and go, wow, he was right. <laughs> yeah, <but> yeah. We, we, we need to be a reflection of Jesus. Now, we are not going to be a perfect reflection of Jesus because we are sinful, because we do things wrong, and he never did. But we need to be as accurate of a reflection as we can be. And the way that we, we are, way do we get there is to get to know Jesus as intimately as we can. Spend as much time with him as we can. goes back to, to the influence that I was talking about. Influence. You are influenced by people by spending time with them. You will be influenced by Jesus by spending time with him. 
by talking with him, by getting into his word, by hanging out with people who are causing you to draw closer to Jesus. Godliness is not a list of do's or don'ts. Godliness is reflecting Jesus. And we need to be as close of a reflection to Jesus as we can be. So, ask yourself, what kind of influence, not just what kind of influence do I have coming into my life, but what kind of influence am I being to the people in my life? How am I pointing people to Jesus? What kind of changes maybe do I need to make in my own life to help be a, a good reflection of Jesus. And so, and so influence them the way God wants. It's difficult, but not impossible. I want to close in, in prayer. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God, show you how you can be that godly influence. Take these, take these notes. Take things you wrote down. Use them to be the type of influence that God wants you to be. And when you start doing this, it'll be amazing how people will be, there's something different about that person. I like hanging out with that person. You know, if somebody likes hanging out with you, you can ask them to go somewhere, and they'll go with you. Believe it or not, if, if somebody likes hanging out with you and you say, hey, if you come to church with me, after church I'll go buy you lunch, guess what? They're probably going to come to church with you. Yeah, throw that lunch in there. It always helps. As I pray, I want you to talk to God and ask him how you can be that godly influence, how you can have the power of influence to lead people to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for all that you do in our lives. We don't deserve your love and your mercy and your grace, but you give it anyway. Help us to be a mirror. Help us to reflect your glory. Help us to reflect your love. Help us to reflect your grace in people's lives that gives us the opportunity to share your love with them like they've never known. Speak to me, God. Show me how to better be a reflection of you. The things that I need to remove from my life. The things that I need to add to my life. The things that I need to change in my life. Speak to each one of us, Lord, we ask. We thank you so much. We ask that you would do a mighty work in us, in this church, in this city, Lord. Move in a mighty way. And we will give you the praise for all that you do. Amen.